Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are thrilled to be on the line with Annie Wong, who is based in Hong Kong. Annie, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's such an honor to be here. We're so excited to talk to We're you. We're so excited, and we feel really lucky to have you. So thank you so much. It's exciting, but nervous at the same time. I've never done this before. <laughs> that is okay. We're just so excited for people to get to know you and to hear your story. To briefly introduce Annie, Annie Wong has worked as the church's Asia Area Communication Director since 2018, and she is the first ever Native Chinese woman to hold this position. She works with senior church leadership across the area to manage interfaith, government, and media relations for 22 countries in Asia, which is the largest area of the church geographically. And Annie studied at BYU-Hawaii and BYU, earning a bachelor's degree in public relations and later received a master's degree in international and public affairs from the University of Hong Kong. So we are so excited to talk with Annie and learn more about your work in Asia and also your personal experience as a member of the church living in Hong Kong. Wow, I feel like you already know my life in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're excited to hear what else you have to share. So just to jump right into the questions, Annie, you're a convert to the church. Mm -hmm. And we just always think it's so interesting to learn how people find the church or even how the gospel finds them. And your story is particularly unique. You were born in mainland China. Your family moved to Hong Kong when you were just two years old, and your family chose to enroll you in Christian schools growing up, although you came from a traditionally Buddhist background. So we would just love for you to share with us and our listeners how you came to learn about the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. It is very interesting how Heavenly Father prepared each of his children to receive the gospel. Like for every person, their stories are different. And I'm so glad that that you asked me these questions because it made me think about all these blessings that, that I've received in my life even before I met the missionaries. I have two aunts from my dad's side who are Christians, actually. One of them, my oldest aunt, she was dating this Christian guy who she wanted to marry. In his family, there are 12 kids, and he is the youngest one named Benjamin. And then the oldest sister just right about him is named Josephine. So it's like the 12 tribes of Israel almost. (laughs) And and his family basically said to my aunt that, you know, in order to be married to the family, you have to become a Christian. And so she did. And then I have another aunt who moved to Hong Kong from mainland China. And one of her jobs in Hong Kong was to help edit the Bible in Chinese. Oh, wow. In the older version of the Chinese Bible, there's no punctuation at all among the text. There's just a a tiny little dot right next to the characters indicating the pause. And her job is to add punctuation to the Bible. And because she had to read it to so many times, that's how she got converted. And so we do have at least two Christians in our family, even before I joined the church. I remember my aunt who worked for the Bible Society before she moved to Australia, she gave me her Bible and wanted me to read it. And I was only maybe like a four or five years old. And I remember like sitting in my bed, flipping through the Bible, circling all the characters that, that I know. 
because there are so many words that I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's how a little seed was planted. And I remember dad wouldn't let me go to Christian fellowship in my school. But then my two aunts would call him and try to persuade him to let me go. And so it is a seed that was planted in my heart long before I met the missionaries. And I think I was just blessed to have these influences in my life. And I can say the fact that my parents moved to Hong Kong from mainland China, that was a decision that impacted my life the most. They first moved here for better job or education purpose. But then later, when they sent me to Christian schools, that's where I learned the Bible as an academic subject. That's when I really study it as a student. And all these educational experiences helped me believe in Christ since a very, very young age. And I remember the teacher asked me if I believe that Jesus Christ lives. And I just nod my head, yes, yes, yes. And so when I ever get confused or unhappy, at that time I wasn't baptized yet as a Christian, I would always know how to pray to God for comfort and direction. And I remember the day that I ran into the missionaries, I was just walking home from my elementary school. I went to visit my elementary school teacher because I was just having a really hard time in high school during that time. And, and that's why I went, went back to my elementary school and j- kind of just want to look back to my past and mm-hmm. rethink about my purpose, like what actually am I doing here? And about how old were you at that time? I was 15. And that was year 1999 because year 2000 was about to come. And, and so the whole world was talking about millennium, yeah, the end of right. the world what's, is coming. What's coming. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and there's just a lot of um So just kind of a critical of, time yes, mm-hmm. uh-huh. for you and your life. I remember after visiting my elementary school teacher, I walked home and passed by a subway station where the missionaries were doing a zone street contacting. And one of the sister missionaries was six three tall and immediately stood out among the crowd. She used to play basketball for the University of Washington. Later, she actually <laughs> became the basketball coach at UVU. And oh, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I remember... Really uh, stood out in Hong Kong, I'm mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at that sister missionary, and she wasn't even standing right next to her companion. I looked at her, and she looked at me, and then we started talking But that was, I think, her second week in Hong Kong. So her Cantonese was not very fluent. And so she saw her companion and immediately grabbed her over. And her companion spoke Cantonese without an accent. And I was just so surprised. You know, who are these people and how did they learn their Cantonese so well? And that's when I learned that they're on a full-time mission in Hong Kong. They had to defer school or work to be here full-time. And they first had to go to a place called the Missionary Training Center to learn Cantonese for three months before coming to my home country. And I just thought that, wow, this is so amazing. And they invited me to learn more about Jesus Christ. I wasn't particularly interested in the message that they wanted to share because I thought that I already knew about Jesus. I was more interested in learning about these missionaries, about the reason why. You were impressed with mm-hmm. them. Yes, what motivated them to come to Hong Kong. I still was very much attracted to their sincerity, how genuine they were when they spoke with me. 
And so I accepted the invitation to be taught. And that investigation lasted for about two and a half years. I was a minor and I wasn't able to get uh, permission during those two and a half years to get baptized. So I just keep studying with them until my mom signed the paper to let me get baptized. Well, I'm just wondering what specifically were you learning with the missionaries? What specifically helped you to really find purpose and meaning in your life? I think what really stood out to me was the plan of salvation. I wasn't too sure about the restoration itself. That was more difficult to... mm -hmm, It was mm -hmm. harder to understand. But then when they start telling me about the plan of salvation and how it's not just heaven and hell, but there are three different kingdoms of glory, and there's a place that has already been prepared for each of God's children, that just makes so much sense to me. Because I always thought that in other Christian faith that they talk about, okay, if you don't get baptized, like you don't get to go to heaven. But then mm-hmm. I have so many relatives, like my grandparents, who are such kind people. I just can't believe that they can't be with me in heaven with God after life. And so when I learned that for people who passed and never had a chance to learn about the restored gospel, they would still have an opportunity in the spirit world. It's a lot of mercy. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Yes. And that just comforted me. And everything just makes a lot of sense. So when they taught that God is a God of mercy, but also a God of justice, that we all have to bear consequences of what we do, but then at the same time, we have the Savior to come and redeem us, like it it just makes a lot of sense to me. And I love, Annie, you shared with us before that in addition to support from missionaries that you were getting at this time, which was many, many missionary companionships over (laughs) two and a half years, but you were also getting a lot of support from members at church and from your Uh young women leaders, like one-on-one support. Yeah. Unlike the wards at the Wasatch Front, the units in Hong Kong are Mm -hmm. relatively smaller And sometimes when other young women couldn't attend the class, I would be like the only young women in the group. And that was even before I got baptized. So I actually got a lot of one-on-one tutorial moments with Mm -hmm. these young women leaders. And I felt really blessed to be taught by them, but more importantly, to witness how the gospel blessed their lives in their own way. So in the full presidency, one of them got married really early. And after she had five children, she went back to school and eventually graduated from UC Berkeley with distinction. And then later she even got her EMBA at Duke University. And that was when her husband was working full time and served at many different church callings. And then the other one married a non-member who didn't get baptized and get sealed in the temple with her until their first daughter came back from her mission. Many, many years. Many, many years. And then the third one, she got married kind of late and then had her first baby kind of late. But when I look at these people, I saw how they each have their own destiny. But because they all chose to live the gospel, Heavenly Father had placed all these blessings for them in His own way. And During these one-on-one interactions, I learned so much from their life experiences, which motivated me to also live a righteous life. Like they are people that I consider my role model, people that I look up to so much. And I'm sure everybody has somebody like that in their life. 
when they're young, that when they grow up, they want to be just like them. And I have all these role models that were placed in my journey to conversion. And I felt really, really blessed that way. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you had so many diverse examples so that it wasn't just, oh, I have to do this and then mm-hmm. I have to do this. Yeah. You could kind of see examples of different mm-hmm. ways to live the gospel and receive these different blessings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first moved to Utah, somebody told me that, oh, the Utah girls said they are all cookie cutters, especially the ones from BYU. But as a new convert to the church, because of these young women leaders' experience that I've personally witnessed, I knew that that's not true. That wasn't the case. You know, yeah. that's not the case. It is a misconception. And yeah. I think that's important to recognize mm-hmm. that everybody's life is so different and their experience living yeah. the gospel can be so different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, Annie, you said you investigated for a couple years and then you were baptized. And you shared with us that although your decision to be baptized was an event, you know, something that happened after a few years of studying with the missionaries and with these young women leaders, you've said that your conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ was a process, like it is for each of us, whether we're born into the church, whether we find it later in life. You've shared with us that there were a couple things that really influenced your personal conversion. And one, you said being blessed with these righteous influences. And we'd love to hear more about that and the other influences that helped you along the way. But also learning that everything adds up, this daily accumulation of consistent prayer and consistent study and faithful living. And we'd love for you to share a little bit more about these two factors to your conversion that as we reflect on our own personal conversions are influential to each of us as well. I remember when the sister missionaries taught me the discussions, very quickly they extended the baptismal invitation. And I remember asking my mom about it, and she said no. And I even took the sister missionaries home and have them talk to my mom, and she still said no to it. (laughs) And then I started convincing her that, hey, mom, if I join the church, if I go to BYU, then I get cheaper tuition. And (laughs) It's really funny how that conversation went, but eventually what my mom said was, you do not join the church just for cheaper tuition fee. And back then, non-member and members' difference for paying tuition wasn't really that big. And mom said that we could afford that difference. And she said, you know, marriage and religion are the two most important things in your life. You need to think about it thoroughly before you go into Mm it. I even said that if it is not right, then I can always quit. But she said, you do not join the church thinking that you will quit later. This is a Mm -hmm. lifelong commitment. And so I would have to say that my mother, even though she herself did not join the church. She wasn't a member. She Mm -hmm. wasn't. She did not join until 10 years after me. But her influence definitely had made the biggest impact in my life. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I always look back to that conversation. And I think because of what she said, I really took the time and effort to study with the missionaries and making sure that I am joining for the right reason. And during those two and a half years, there were moments of doubts too. I was not brave enough to tell any of my high school friends that I was investigating because I didn't want to have any influence from them. I knew that they would tease me about it, and I just didn't want to have these negative voices coming when I'm still trying to be converted. 
And it's so funny. I delay to pray about the Book of Mormon for a very, very long time because I love to hang out with the sister missionary so much. <laughs> and I was so afraid that, okay, what if the Book of Mormon is not true, but I still want to spend time with the missionaries the moment <laughs> I do. And so I could just keep delaying that process. But when I finally pray about the Book of Mormon, it was crystal clear that it was true. But during this whole journey, as I look for the truth, I would have to say, maybe because I'm a slow learner, I don't always know how to recognize the spirit when it happens to me, especially as a investigator. I wasn't even a baptized member of the church yet at that time. But I remember walking home from church and just during that journey on my way home, I would always feel this peace and comfort and the day that I didn't go to church, I recognized that that feeling wasn't there. You didn't feel and, that. Mm -hmm. And so it was just all these consistent effort that built up that understanding that this is the Spirit of God telling me that what I'm experiencing is good. Although it wasn't a voice coming into my head that, oh, the church is true and you have to join, but it was just these consistent influence or feeling telling me that what I'm experiencing is the right thing and just motivated mm -hmm. me to keep going. That's beautiful. And I think that's really relatable too, that your work was really consistent and then you continued to feel that consistent validation that you were making the right choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you've shared with us, too, that that continued even after you were baptized. Those consistent efforts, that continued. The righteous influence of no longer maybe the missionaries and young women leaders, but you said roommates as you went on to attend BYU-Hawaii and BYU or later your mission companions, that they continued to be a righteous influence, but then also teach you about the value of consistency. And mm -hmm. I really love that. Yeah. Well, there's a funny story that I want to tell the audience that mm -hmm. I remember my first semester at BYU-Hawaii. I lived in one of the halates, which means dorms at BYU-Hawaii. And so going to church is a five-minute walk. And at that time, I didn't really enjoy Sunday school. And so after going to sacrament, I would always find an excuse to go back to my hale. I would say, oh, I forgot something in my room. And then I would just secretly go back. Slip and away. Kind of just <laughs> linger there until it's time to go to Relief Society. You were a very new convert at this point, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. I got baptized two months before I started school at BYU-Hawaii. Oh, wow. And so I was only a few months old <laughs> at that time. In the um, church, yeah. And so it was just really funny that I would always find an excuse not to attend Sunday school. And at that time, because the ward was so big, the student ward, and so the Relief Society was divided into two. And I belonged to the Relief Society with the president who is from Hong Kong. And she had just returned home from her mission and got called to serve in the ward as the Relief Society president. And she and her boyfriend, who later became her husband, noticed that I am always skipping Sunday school. Skipping Sunday and so, school. so <laughs> like right after sacrament, she would be like, hey, Annie, let's go to Sunday school together. And I would be like, mm, I forgot something in my room. And she would walk to the holiday with me and make sure that I grab what I need and immediately go back to the chapel <laughs> to have Sunday school. And I said, well, but I'm going to be really late. And I don't want to walk in there so late. It's embarrassing. And she said, it's fine. I will go in with you. 
And so she makes sure that every Sunday I have three full hours of church experience. And they would always invite me to devotional, fireside, gospel forum, family home evening. And those experiences, you know, it adds up. Everything all adds up. And I have roommates at BYU Provo. I live with five American girls and we would pray every night before we go to bed. And on my mission, I have some of the most patient companions throughout my mission. One of them I live with, I was companion with for nine and a half months. And we survived. <laughs> and all these people, they, they're because of their example, like all helped me stay active in the church. And I also had the privilege to teach Cantonese in the MTC while I was going to school at BYU. And then now working for the church full time. And every single experience that I've had strengthened my testimony of the gospel. I think at times when we have doubts, it is these positive experiences, these good memories that remind us of the goodness of God that help us hold on to the iron rod. And I've just been really fortunate, extremely blessed that I have so many things that I could rely on that help me stay true to the gospel. Annie, I love how you mentioned that all of the experiences that you had have strengthened your testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it also seems like all of those experiences have led you to where you are today in what you call your dream job yes. <laughs> as the communication director <laughs> for the Asia area. Yeah. And we would just love to know, you know, even though attending BYU Hawaii right after high school wasn't exactly what you wanted for your life, but it became such a blessing. And we would just love to know more about how the Lord's plan unfolded to you and how it helped you have faith and trust in his timing and his will. I went to an all-girl Catholic high school in Hong Kong, and it is a very good school. And a lot of my classmates in 11th grade got accepted to some really prestigious universities in the United States or in the UK. The girl that sat in front of me actually got accepted to Oxford at the age of 16. And the girl who sat right wow. next to me had a full-ride scholarship to Rochester University. And then the other girl behind me got accepted to Princeton University. And so I have all these smart group of girls. really smart yeah. people surrounding me. And first of all, I was very intimidated. And then second of all, when I told them I was going to go to BYU-Hawaii, they just didn't take me seriously. That mm -hmm. year was also the year that uh, Lilo and Stitch came out. And so when I said I was going to BYU-Hawaii, they just <laughs> picture me as Lilo, you know, surfing <laughs> on the ocean with Stitch. And... and I know it is Hawaii, like who doesn't want to go there, right? But mm -hmm. at that time, because of all these, it's not really a competition, but because of what my peers are. Some comparison happening yeah, probably. Yeah, like how I compared myself with them. I was really shooting for going to BYU Provo instead of Hawaii, but I didn't get accepted to Provo at that time. And Hawaii wasn't my first choice. But then later, um, right before I went to BYU-Hawaii, one of the state presidents in Hong Kong and I had a chance to talk. And he said that when he was about to go to school, he actually started a Provo. And he said if he could have lived his life again, he would have chosen to go to BYU-Hawaii instead. Because he said over there, you learn so much more about people. Mm. And it is so true. 
as soon as I got to campus, it's like I saw the world on that campus. The student body is really small, considering as a university. There are, I think, only like 2,500 students altogether, but they came from 70 different nations. When you walk into wow. the classroom or when you walk into the school cafeteria, it, it is like you see the whole world in front of you. And it is true that I learned so much more about people and culture. But before I started school, I thought I know what the world is because I, I was raised by a father who worked professionally as a tour guide. So I heard a lot of things about what the world looks like through him. But then when I got there, I met people from a country that I've never even heard of. And first of all, it was an amazing experience to just be friends and rub shoulders with people from all over the world. And then second of all, I was able to strengthen my testimony there from their example, how the gospel was shared in their country. And just through the sharing of their testimony, I really see that gospel love really touched on all corners of the earth. And later, I felt strongly prompted that I need to go on a mission. That was when I was still a freshman at BYU-Hawaii. And so I thought, okay, maybe that's the reason why Heavenly Father wanted me to go there is to have the experience that will prompt me to serve a mission. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, I got my reason why I need to be there for school. But then later, when I got hired as the assistant director of communication, back then we call this the public affairs department. And I remember my very first trip was to Cambodia for their VIP dinner. And when I walk into the banquet room, I saw so many local members and leaders there greeting the VIPs. And a good number of them were my friends from BYU-Hawaii that I haven't seen for many years. One of the guy who was there became the service center manager. And then the other person was in the stake presidency. He and his wife and I sang in the same choir together. At BYU-Hawaii. Uh -huh. Wow, wow. Yeah. that's so neat. And that was the first experience. And then later when I went to Mongolia and other countries, I again was able to make connections with the local people. Well, it wasn't really so much making new connections, but reconnecting with friends that I already know who became leaders in their own country. And later when I encounter any issues or communication matters said that I need to consult with the locals, I can just pick up the phone and call them is so easy. And we call each other by our first mm -hmm. name. I still remember the day that I stood in the banquet room. This voice that came to my head and I instantly recognized that it is Heavenly Father speaking to me that, Annie, this is why I sent you to Puhai Hawaii. Sorry, I got a little emotional. But I thought I already had my answer why I had to mm -hmm. go to BYU-Hawaii. It was to inspire or motivate to go on a mission. But then as my life continued to unfold, I see God's mystery even more clearly. I love that story. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. You mentioned that you have a really deep personal connection to your work and very personally motivated to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you've said that one of your goals is to help members in the Asia area to stay, to mm -hmm. stay in the church despite opposition that they experience and to stay faithful to the covenants that they've made. Mm -hmm. And we'd love for you to share why that's a cause that you are so passionate about and why that motivates you each day in your work. 
For those of you who know the demographics in Asia, like you would know that Christianity is kind of the minority here on the side of the world. And members of our church are like the minority of the minority of the minority. And there's so much opposition here that makes it hard for people to stay. And one of the obstacles, I think it comes from busyness, just making ends meet, working very long hours at work. Mm-hmm. Then the other part is that the opposition in the environment, the political regime here is complicated and religious sensitivity is so strong in some of the countries here. Because of the political environment and the religious environment, it adds an extra layer of challenge for members sure. of the church yeah. to stay strong. And mm-hmm. one of the most important responsibility we have in the communication department is to build relationship with the opinion leaders of the church to help improve the reputation of the church so we can improve the religious environment to increase religious freedom here that members can be confident as a member of the church that they would have this desire to get baptized, be ordained, to go on a mission and be sealed in the temple. In Asia, we cover Indonesia, Malaysia, these countries with a strong Muslim population. So in those countries, mm-hmm. like it is easy to understand how members of our church are minorities of the minorities of the minorities. But like even yes. in Hong Kong, where there's not much religious restrictions, we still have kids in school that would get isolated by their classmate when they reveal their identity that they're a mm-hmm. member of the church. Mm-hmm. We get treated unfairly because of who we are. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm a Christian or not, it is between the Lord and myself. It's nobody else's business. But then why do I need to be judged that way? Or why is the church that I go to need to be judged that way? And that motivated me to work harder in my day-to-day work to do what is right so that we can create a better environment for members here to lift the gospel and stay true to the gospel. Annie, thank you so much for sharing. I think that's such a beautiful perspective. And going along with your work, it's extremely complex. As you mentioned, you're navigating various governments and political regimes, religion and cultures across 22 countries in Asia. So you've mentioned a few. There's Taiwan, Pakistan, Indonesia, and you're helping to build relationships and improve the church's reputation. We (laughs) are just wondering if You can share some examples of your efforts to do this through humanitarian work, interfaith work, or government work. Yeah, there is um, a recent example from Singapore that I would really like to share with the audience. Last year, when President Nelson's call for a world fast, our interfaith friends in Singapore supported the invitation by fasting with us. And then this year... For the month of Ramadan, the stake in Singapore contributed 10,000 Singaporean dollars to support the local Blessing to All project in Singapore. With this donation and coupled with other contributions from other sources, our interfaith group joined hands to purchase and package food and gift bags for over 2,000 Muslim families and town council workers. Wow. And so it is really amazing. Incredible interfaith cooperation Mm -hmm. that we did in Singapore. Yeah, an exchange. Mm -hmm. That's really Mm -hmm. neat. Yeah. So examples like this are really encouraging. It's so rewarding to know that our hard work pays off. 
Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the hard part of my work or for any of our communication colleague is that you don't see the fruit of your labor right away. Mm-hmm. It's very hard mm-hmm. to quantify a relationship. You know, how do you know that this relationship that you built today would really lead to anything, right? And so I would say success a story like this just keep us going because it, it proves yeah, to us that our course. hard work is worth the, the investment. Mm-hmm. And just to see that the members can be so supportive of their neighbors and friends mm-hmm. and other faiths and that the members are being supported too in their community. Exactly. I think that really is an amazing example mm-hmm. of the fruits of your labors. Mm-hmm. And something that bridges over time, that it was yeah. something that they supported us last year and, and turning mm-hmm. around us supporting them yes. this year. Again, like you said, we don't always see it instantly. It's something that happens over time and those steps cement each other and cement the relationship as time goes on. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't hear every instance of interfaith outreach or humanitarian work that's happening around the world. And it's just really neat, I think, for members to know what's happening around the world. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. And Annie, before we wrap up, we always love to ask our guests if there's anything more that you would like to share with listeners of the podcast or women of the church from your experience or from your perspective. I remember President Hinckley. He always said that women consist of half of the world's population and they're the mothers of the other half. And I remember he said it in many different occasions. And I think it is so true that our influence is so invaluable, so big that it can't even be measured. The story said that I've shared today, the examples or influences that I've received, the majority of these came from women in the church. There are people that I look up to so much. And just like what I've told you about the three young women presidency member that I had the privilege to meet, their lives are so different, but they each raise their family righteously in their own way. Like everybody's stories is different and we can all make a difference. And today, like I am still a single person, like I'm not married or with no children, but I still feel that I can contribute so much to society to help with the little effort that I have. I think I'm still doing something good for Heavenly Father's children. Oh, tremendously good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this kind of the effort can be done by anybody All the women in the church can recognize the value that they have and shine. Oh, I love that. You mentioned earlier, you said we don't always know our influence. And I don't think there's any way thinking of the sweet Relief Society president at BYU Hawaii There's no way she could have known that this new convert (laughs) that really didn't want to go to Sunday school would one day lead the entire Asia area in communication, you know? And like you said, we don't always know our influence, but we should all know that we have one and it's really powerful. And like you said, to just shine that we all have that within us. And I Mm -hmm. really want to take this opportunity to thank all the sister missionaries who never gave up on me. Those two and a half years, an eternal investigator without (laughs) a baptismal date. I think my progress record in the area book is like this thick. thick. (laughs) So thick. But they never gave up on me. And if they get to hear this podcast, I want to make sure that they hear this part. Oh, that's so sweet. Annie, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to talk with you and to hear your unique stories and your unique perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk with you. Thank you. 
And as always, we want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you'll share this episode with someone who has come to your mind and who might benefit from our conversation with Annie today. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or contact us with your thoughts and feedback at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. And we also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is now available on the Gospel Library app if you navigate to audiences and women. In addition to being available just about anywhere you want to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Church's Saints Channel app, and elsewhere. So we hope you'll continue to tune in, subscribe, and share these wonderful voices and stories of women in faith with your family and friends. And in conclusion, as always, we'd like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum as well as the many others who support this podcast. And until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.